Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Amanda Greenberg, who is the co-founder and CEO of Balloon, which you can find at getballoon.com, and Balloon unlocks the true value of collaboration by removing cognitive bias, group dynamics, and fears from organizations and teams. In this episode, we go through how she started and grew this company, including bootstrapping early on, then raising venture capital, how she went about building the team, how she went about growth, and also her experience as a female founder, all of that and more in this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over an Apple podcast. Without further ado, here is Amanda Greenberg, the co-founder and CEO of Balloon. Amanda, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited about this. Yes. Excited to dive in, talk more about Balloon and everything you've, you've built and what you're doing so far. For people who maybe aren't as familiar, what is Balloon? Yeah, Balloon is an anonymous collaboration app that helps companies and teams just unlock true value of collaboration by eliminating everything that gets in the way. So all the group dynamics, all the biases, all the fears, and we just save teams and companies a lot of time. So we reduce meeting time by 70%. And then we give you access to just the best insights possible. So 80% of the information, ideas, feedback um, that's shared on Balloon is brand new. It hasn't been seen or heard within a company before. Um, and we'll use kind of across the board. So all different types of companies um, from, you know, Google, uh, Amazon to, you know, the LA Angels. Uh, so all over, all over the place. That's awesome. And with that, obviously it seems like such a, such a useful thing and a great idea. Where did this get started then? Yeah. So before founding Balloon, I was a public health researcher in DC. And in that role, I was developing like national behavior change campaigns for EPA, uh, CDC. So I would have been, you know, developing a campaign about why you <laughs> wear a mask and why it's so great to wear a mask. Um, and in that role, though, I discovered that our business tools and processes, especially meetings, email threads, you know, Slack conversations, um, focus group surveys, all these things that we just use and do every single day in business, um, don't address the way our brains actually work in a group setting. So how we as humans best share information, how we best discuss things, and how we best make decisions. And what they don't account for are things that we've all seen and experienced. We experience them on every single Zoom call, <laughs> which is you know, loud voices, dominating conversations, or a few people dominating conversations, obviously dozens of other types of really costly cognitive biases. Um, and then also, of course, fears, that awkward silence, fear of failure, fear of judgment, uh, fear of is this the right time, the right place, the right moment to share something. Um, and so what I found in, in the research was that, um, you know, this is such a costly problem and it's so ubiquitous and it costs companies billions and it's in every group interaction. Um, you know, it decreases uh, innovation, stalls innovation, uh, you know, uh, decreases productivity, results in really bad decision making and false starts. And as I dove into the research, I just became so obsessed with the problem um, that I decided to found the company. And I had planned um, after I was a researcher to go back to medical school um, and with the aspiration of really being a surgeon general, the surgeon general and working in public health. Um, be but I just became so obsessed with the problem. I haven't looked back once. 
the best <laughs> decision ever. Doesn't even feel like a decision, but um, but yeah, that was really um, how it all got started. And with that too, then, so you understand you have, there's this huge problem that you, you want to solve. You become obsessed with this. What is then the first couple steps you take into making this an actual company? Yeah, when when you know we really first started thinking about this, my husband and co-founder and CTO Noah um, was in graduate school at um, Carnegie Mellon, and we reached out to their kind of startup incubator um, called Project Olympus on campus to just kind of start getting some information to figure out what this looks like. We were so naive. And didn't know what we were doing, um, but we were eager to learn and um, had a lot of support in that way. And then from there, we you know applied for accelerators and build MVP and all of those different steps. But um, that's really how it all how it all got started. But it was a big shift, you know, from being a public health researcher to um, you know this whole other path that I felt was really like choosing me. I wasn't necessarily like <laughs> it. So yeah, just a shift. And with that too, I mean, you're going from not not having this entrepreneurial experience before to then you okay, we're on to start a company. I'm trying yeah. to think of how how to go about that with the accelerator specifically. How are you looking at which accelerator you want to join, and what do you want from that experience? Yeah, you know, we applied to a number, and so you know, we picked the one that picked us. <laughs> which was, <laughs> of course, you know, which is funny to look back on at that time. Um, but that's really what it looked like, and we wanted, you know, we wanted to have the freedom to, you know, quit our, our jobs and dive in uh, full time. But we looked at really the track record, um, the level of expertise, what can be provided. I mean, accelerators are a whole different um, game now in terms of, you know, who's there and who, you know, who's leading those and all those different parts. I think they've really just exploded in that sense. Um, but at that time, it was, yeah, it was like, you know, we applied for the handful. Yeah. And with that too, then, so understanding that you have this problem, you know, there's an, there's an issue out here. You want to solve this. You, you're going to become an entrepreneur to start this business. Then like, what did the kind of initial business model or like the MVP of, of, of Balloon look like? Yeah, we, we bootstrapped for a while. So Noah and I built first version of product. I mean, Noah built it. He's an engineer. Very helpful. <laughs> yeah, it helps. Um, yeah. So we built first version of product. We knew that we were creating like a new category, something new. So we really wanted to see if people would pay for it, you know, get it, would would they use it? Would they pay for it? What do they want in this? What is this new space that we're really creating? Um, Yeah, so those were kind of the first steps. What's been interesting in kind of this post-COVID world and this huge reprogramming that's going on in the workplace is that we've become much more valuable, necessary, and critical. And so our customers have become power users and all these different pieces. So when I look back at that kind of foundational story, it's like, it feels like it's in another world than kind of (laughs) where we are now. You know, the things that we had to kind of make the case for or educate teams and companies about, it's just not necessary now um, because of this reprogramming. Yeah, the companies are starting to get it and they understand it now at this point. But yeah, yeah that was back in 2015 or so when you're starting yeah. this company then too. And you mentioned like bootstrapping it and everything as well. How are you then kind of initially getting getting people on board, like getting your first customers to to validate this this idea even? Yeah, we just reached out to everyone in our network to get those intros to customers and companies that we thought would be on board with what we were building. And we didn't even know because it's such a horizontal product, you know, who that 
buyer was within a company, how they would want to buy, how they want to pay for it, all those different processes and pieces, um, you know, vendor onboarding, um, et cetera. But we really just wanted to approach it of, hey, this is what we've built. This is what we're building. This is where we, you know, this is the roadmap. This is where we think we want to go. Is this valuable to you? Would you use this? Would you pay for this? Um, and, you know, once we started to get some of that direction from our customers, uh, it really helped just guide those next parts of the company. Um, yeah, but it was really through network um, and, and word of mouth. And it still is for us very much so. With that too, then understand that you're you're talking to customers, which is which is obviously a great kind of first step to understand you're building something that's useful for them and valuable for them. How did you look at like pricing at that point, or like the business model behind it in terms of like how are you going to actually make money and make this into like a viable uh, business at the beginning? Yeah, I think you know obviously pricing is always evolving, um, and we we listened to how people wanted to pay for it or where there were objections and like how we were presenting pricing. So obviously it's a SaaS model subscription um, product. Um, We recently rolled out self-service at that time. We didn't have self-service. And so, yeah, we thought about it in the sense of like, what's the least amount of friction for the most people to use it within a company and who's getting the most value within the company from that product. Um, you know, is it, is it the leader who's maybe starting the flights, which are the questions or sets of questions on balloon? Is it the participants whose voices are amplified? And what does that kind of pricing model look like that fits that scenario? Also, since it's horizontal and there's all these different use cases within companies, some use cases, you know, a company might value higher than another use case within the company. And so taking that into account as well, and I I think it is ever evolving, Um, but yeah, it's 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 been it's been a process, I think, to get to get the pricing right. Yeah, um, and that's such a tough thing, right? Pricing for any company. I mean, there's so much to figure out. And I've I've you know, talked to a number of people, and they they say they have their pricing, and it's like it's always too low. Or I talked yeah. to someone recently where they're saying literally, uh, I was talking to Christian Pavarelli from a company called We Are No Code, and he literally had his some of his customers being like, "You should double the price of this course. Like, yes, this is totally. this is too cheap." Yeah. And yeah. so it's it's critical though to your business in terms yeah. of how you operate. Uh, getting that pricing right, and you're not going to necessarily know until you're you're testing things to to figure that out. Yeah, totally, totally. You talked about some of the use cases. I would love to hear more about like what are some of those top use cases for companies with using Balloon. Yeah, absolutely. So everything on Balloon is organized around a flight, which is a question or a set a set of questions, and then you invite a group, and that group goes together through this stage flow where they're surfacing ideas or feedback or insights. They're um, you know, pumping up or voting on those ideas or insights. And then they get the surface and prioritized list of top information, top ideas. And then you see where you have consensus and buy-in. So as a leader, you know where you're going to have a false start. So, you know, just with that flow, I'm sure you can think about like all the different (laughs) places, um, whether it's like project retrospectives, um, strategic decision-making, planning, leadership roundtables, product development. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Innovation. um, And it's used all these different ways within companies. So, you know, we've seen it been, we've seen it used to, um, for like scouting and for the draft for the LA Angels to, um, you know, how, what are the actions that um, an organization should take inside and outside their company to um, address uh, systemic racism and police brutality. So it's really wide breadth and depth um, and horizontal. Um, and we see it used a lot of different ways. And we're always 
so excited by the creativity of our customers to these different ways. We just had our customer advisory board meeting um, at the end of July uh, where we bring together, you know, 12 of our our biggest champions. And one of the sessions is they share how they use balloon within their organizations and just seeing kind of this collective brain power of all these different use cases. um, It's just, yeah, it's always like thrilling (laughs) for us as like founders. It's like the dream to see your product out there being used, changing organizations. Um, But yeah, it's used a lot of different ways. And with that too, then understand that there's so many different use cases for Balloon. Like companies are finding ways all the time to to use it. How do you go about then with the messaging of your company for other people in terms of how how you sell this then? Yeah, absolutely. So we have flight plans, which are templates, which help to drive, um, you know, what those categories are, what those use cases are. Um, and also that helps to facilitate land and expand within companies. So if we kick off with a product team, um, you know, and they know someone in marketing te- in the marketing team, or maybe someone on the marketing team participated in a flight, then they're able to see what are those use cases um, that are really specific to marketing. But what we always say is like, if you have a meeting about it, like, you can do a flight about it, right? It's any discussion. It's any it's any place where you're you're thinking through something. You're making a decision. Uh, you need access to that information. So start the starting place, the middle place, the ending place, like always the right kind of place <laughs> to use to use the product. Um, but yeah, but we have those flight plans to help guide people um, when everyone was really transitioning to remote, and there was you know, just endless uncertainty. I mean, there still is endless uncertainty, but when there was that really initial panic um, at the beginning stages of this, uh, you know, our, our customers really leaned in and did flights around, you know, uh, how do you navigate uncertain times? Uh, you know, what information can we give you as leaders to help you feel more empowered during this time? You know, how can we, um, you know, keep, keep everyone engaged and productive and feeling psychologically safe um, in so much uncertainty. And so I think that's also just such the power of the product is that you're going to get all of this true information back as a leader, yeah. really know where they are. So yeah, wide breadth and depth there. And, and I want to definitely dig more into the, the COVID and how that's affected things. But one thing I want to go back to is you, you mentioned, you know, that started like around 2015 or so, your bootstrap at that point in time. At, at what point or how long did it take then to get to, you know, like full-time income for, for you, your husband, your co-founder? Like, how did you get, like, how long did it take to get to that, that point then? Yeah, we, so we moved in with family to bootstrap. We also had a little baby at the time who's now five, but um, we moved in with, with our parents. <laughs> Uh, to bootstrap and, and grow the company. And then from there, when we raised the pre-seed, uh, we moved out to the Bay Area. And we knew pretty early on that we wanted to grow the company out here, but we wanted to get it to a certain place first before we before we moved out there, out here, um, you know, and, and where we were able to, to just better support ourselves and have a little bit more stability. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the reason for the, the Bay Area? How'd you choose the, the Bay? Yeah. I mean, we just, we just knew that there would be a certain openness to like a new category, to um, a new space. And we just knew that people were here. Like you can talk to endless (laughs) endless people in the Bay area, right? Like endless VCs, endless investors, endless, like just people who have built things before. And, um, you know, I think in other ecosystems, and of course, this is all changing now, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more limited in that way. And so 
we really wanted a lot of just openness and guidance and advice from people who have built companies before um, yeah. we're offering that advice from a place of, Hey, I've done this. And this is like how it works is how it doesn't <laughs> work. And I do think there's just so much openness out here to new ideas, new companies, new founders. It's really, I just, I have, I have always found it so refreshing and, and that's, that's what we um, found when we first moved out here as well. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the place to be if you're starting a company and yeah. you, you want that. It's clearly the place to be in basically the entire world. And yeah. and with that, I have to talk about fundraising more because especially for first-time founders, I mean, it's so – I mean, it's incredibly tough to fundraise regardless, but especially yeah. as a first-time founder. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take me through the fundraising, Amanda. I'm really yeah. curious how that went. <laughs> so we raised this pre-seed, and it was very much kind of, you know, in tranches. It was like, you know, kind of this rolling raise. And um, – the, there was a tipping point for or turning point, I would say, for our company in terms of fundraising, which is we got into Jason Calacanis's um, launch at the time it was incubator, but now it's launch accelerator. And so he became one of our investors. And that accelerator is completely geared toward fundraising. Well, not completely, but I would say I don't know what percentage they would say, but maybe like 90%. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yes, it's very fundraising focused. And they bring in these investors every week and you pitch to them and they, you know, rate the companies. And then, you know, if you're the number one or the number two company that the, that this investor, uh, you know, rates you as, then it's really easy to get that follow-up meeting. And so it helps to just streamline this process and get you those intros that you need. And then of course the launch team as well um, is willing to make those intros. And sometimes that's what it's all about. I mean, I think not even sometimes all the time with fundraising, that's what it's all about. It's about the intros, but also the tightness of process and the momentum. I mean, we met people through that process that I had reached out to, you know, maybe a year, even two years before I met them through that lens. And, but it was like a cold outreach or not that warm of an intro. And they were like, you know, why didn't we meet you before? Why haven't we seen you before? But it's just because you don't have the right kind of intro or path. And so through that process, we were able to streamline all of those intros we eventually got, you know, a, a term sheet and then raised a 2.1 million um, seed round uh, middle of last year. And from there, you know, of course, once you start getting the term, you get a term sheet, you start getting more investors. It's just really, you know, it just rolls in that way um, and you get that momentum. And that was, you know, you said middle of last year, middle of 2019. That's that's four plus years after you started to get that that seed round. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work, I imagine, that goes goes yeah. into it. Be before then, I mean, at the point that you raised your your seed round, I mean, how much traction did you have, or like, uh, what what had you done in that in those four years to get to that point of that that seed round? Then, yeah, so we had built like a more scalable version of product. We had initial set of customers who were really happy, delighted customers who were expanding and growing, who were using the product. Um, consistently and in, you know, really exciting ways. Um, we had built some of the team, you know, we had really started to make some of those hires. So that was really like a bootstrapped, you know, uh, stage and phase for us. But, you know, I look back and I'm, I'm always, I'm thankful for that process. I'm very yeah. thankful for it because, it made us really understand our product and our customer and like, it just wasn't easy. And I think that that's so advantageous as a founding team to really know kind of 
um, that you can do it and that you can navigate. Yeah. And it's interesting hearing that because there's so many ways to go about building a business and everyone has a different story, which is obviously what I discovered on this podcast. And someone yeah. actually just had interviewed this morning is kind of the, the opposite where they happen to uh, have gotten their seed round within maybe 10 months of starting the company, which yeah. is, you know, just depends on you know the route they've taken and what they were going after and everything. There's just so many ways to go about it. But to your point, you learn a lot in the process of getting to that seed round. And then, you know, understanding you raised a couple million dollars in that seed round middle of 2019. What was that like, used towards and how, how has that helped grow balloon since? Yeah, it's just been huge for us. I mean, we, yeah, we've, we've built out so much on product. We've grown so much, um, across our customers, you know, brought on, of course, new teams, new companies, um, you know, been able to hire and scale a team, you know, build out full customer success and, growth and, uh, all these different pieces. And, you know, doing, I think when you bootstrap also for, for a longer period of time, you have a backlog of things that, you know, customers want, <laughs> you want to build and do. And so yeah. when we, bootstrap, we were like, oh my gosh, let's go. Like we can go like, it's just, like so exhilarating because, you know, we've just heard these things like, Hey, Amanda, Noah, we really want this feature. We really want it to be able to do these things, or can you build out this piece or, you know, all those different parts. And so we were um, then able to do that and are able to do that. And so that's been really, really exciting. Um, yeah. So it was just, it was just a, it was a, it was a, the right moment, I think for, for the company and the right transition, but um, Yeah. And with that too, then I just one more thing on the fundraising side for anyone for other other entrepreneurs who who are raising that seed round or you know maybe yeah. maybe already raised a pre seed. Is there anything else you would mention to them? Any suggestions for as they're going through that process? Yeah, I mean, so many. So I I mean I would say one is like really run it like a process. Um, Jason Demon, who was at launch at the time, you know, always gave that advice. Um, really run it like a process and. It really is such a process. I mean, I had like a huge air table, you know, <laughs> she, and I, uh, yeah. our next round, um, you know, and you really have to navigate everyone so well to get that round to come together. So really run it like a process. I think also knowing that like there aren't rules. I think there aren't rules even more so now than there, <laughs> than there weren't then. But um, yeah, you know, really being confident and um, going out there and also knowing that you're being evaluated at, across the board at all times. So, um, you know, just being aware and paying attention to those details in the process, I think is really, really um, important. And, you know, it takes a lot to for people to, give you money. I think that's important. Like the default's going to be no. Um, and so the amount of things that really need to align, which is, you know, a belief in the founding team, uh, belief in the space that this is part of the future, um, the traction to support those beliefs, all of those things need to really align to get to that. Yes. And so I think really being focused on that. And then one other piece, which we learned in this process is really be paying attention to what the ask are from the investor side. So if someone's going to write a smaller check and they ask for really heavy diligence and they're taking a ton of your time up and it doesn't seem to really align with the check size, paying attention to that and knowing that there are people who will, you know, angels who will come in as part of a larger round um, and they don't want to take your time. They want you to go back and grow your company and just making sure that that those things always align in the process. Um, and then also I would say leaning on other founders throughout the process, not only for 
you know, support in all different ways. <laughs> but also for intros, you know, a lot of founders, we of course like introduce, um, you know, other founders to companies and it can really result in additional, um, yeah, additional checks, additional investors, um, just really leveraging that network in all ways. And one thing uh, you mentioned with, with getting the funding, obviously allowed you to do a lot of different things. How did you go about prioritizing once then you had this C round? Because there, to your point, there are so many different insights you had gathered from from customers over the past years yeah. of bootstrapping. How did you go about then prioritizing it? Which things you needed to kind of do first within that? Yeah, we had a sense of the priorities and you know what we were going to do. I think throughout that process, I really thought about how much we needed to raise and where it would get us and what we needed to do with it. So we had a pretty tight plan in that sense. Um, we then prioritized, I mean, to get into like the nitty gritty, we yeah. set up a, a sauna portfolio with like, you know, what are these initial kind of goals and things to get into place. And, you know, we had those by product by projects in that Asana portfolio. And it was kind of like that one month kickoff, you know, it's like we raised this, here's this transition piece. And these are the first and top priorities, not only on the product size, but product side, but also just as a company, um, you know, also when you're fundraising, you have to step outside the company a little bit um, and really focus on that process to get it done. And, you know, I think that that was a part of it as well was like, okay, let's, you know, reset as a company. Um, and then also just, I think, you know, fundraising, of course, like isn't a milestone. It's not like, um, you know, something to necessarily celebrate, but I think it is exciting to know that you can really grow. Um, what you want to grow and build what you want to build, especially when you've been bootstrapping as well. Yeah. And with that growth side, I know you mentioned like word of mouth is, is powerful, especially in, in this particular industry. Then how have you gone about growing since, especially since, uh, since getting the funding, how have you gone about growing like customer acquisition side of things too? Yeah. It, you know, a lot for us is word of mouth because yeah. it is new category. And, you know, I think happy customers bring more happy customers yeah. both inside their companies and beyond. I think there's just nothing more impactful than that. So, you know, we've seen that across the board. We've also seen, we've had customers be at one company and then go to another company and they will bring the product with them. And so, <laughs> We've seen that as well. One of the most exciting things that has happened recently is we had, um, you know, someone leave at a, a company that were one of the customer that they're one of our customers, and they were a participant on a flight there, and then they left and started their own company, and Bloom was the first product they bought, um, which I thought was so cool, and you know, just one of those stories that I'm just like, oh my gosh, so exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say word of mouth. I would say, um, you know, kind of earn media like you know, podcasts, pitch events, all yes. those different things just really drive inbound for us. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really been there. And then also, I mean, I think land and expand, of course, you know, we've started at one team in a lot of companies and then, you know, now we're across five or six teams within that company and are rolling out enterprise wide. So yeah, I think that that land and expand word of mouth is is critical. With it being kind of like a new category, as you, as you mentioned, I mean, what have been the biggest challenges or the biggest challenge along with that, along with creating kind of this, this whole new this whole new category of sorts, like what has been the challenge along the side of that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think category creation is, it is challenging. There's a certain level of like education that's necessary um, in the market with your customers, with those making the buying decisions. Um, and so I think that piece is huge. I, I think for us, um, 
with, with the category we're creating, the problem we're solving, it's so ubiquitous and people are so used to just living with it as a constraint. I mean, how yeah. many times have you heard like in the last day, even like we have too many zoom calls, like, <laughs> like this isn't effective. This isn't yeah. like, been a meeting. Like a few people are going to contribute on this. Like there's our, you know, founder and CEO, like talking too much, like all like, it's just such a ubiquitous problem. And it's like the core of every interaction. It's like how you make companies run and work and do and build things. Um, but it's just accepted. And so I think part of it for us is like actually being able to say, Hey, we can actually like solve that. Like this product solves that for you. And you're going to get these really incredible outcomes, but it's just something that people have accepted um, in the workplace. So for us, I think that's been um, just one of the challenges of category creation is getting people to understand, Hey, this is a problem. This is really costly and identify it because it's such a um, ubiquitous constraint. Um, So that's one piece for us. The education piece, of course, I think is, yeah, is is what's necessary. And then, you know, I think there's just a lot of parts of category creation where you get these crazy champions and crazy users who just get huge amounts of value from the product and making sure that they're empowered to like spread that word for you as well. Um, Because there's nothing, you know, we can, we can do everything we can do on our end and put all the content (laughs) out and do all the case studies and, you know, show all the results and all the outcomes, but there's just nothing more powerful than having a customer or, you know, someone say, Hey, you should use this product. We got, you know, ideas that we've got that we've been trying to get for five years and we've never been able to do it without balloons. So those are the kinds of things that, you know, really, really help to, to create that category, I think, and drive that interest. And Amanda, you you mentioned when you started just with your co-founder. Yeah. How, how did you, how have you gone about growing the team then since? Because obviously you've, you've raised funding since then, you've expanded and done all these different things. How has the team building side of things gone for you? Yeah. So we're at around nine people um, right now, and we have grown that team through um, our advisors, you know, people that they know, um, you know, of course, like just putting, putting, um, outreach out there, making sure that we're getting, you know, all different types of candidates. And, <laughs> um, we've tried to remove a lot of friction from, um, our hiring processes. So, you know, people can email me directly, um, email Noah directly. Uh, we have a really simple kind of submission form air table. We don't want a cover letter. We just want, you know, why do you want to work? At balloons, so we've tried to really remove those processes and really just, um, yeah, just make sure that people feel uh, comfortable in that process. But we we're a very mission driven team and company, and I think when you are mission driven, um, hiring is not as challenging. I would say like, people <laughs> want to work at your company. Um, I also think that Noah and I are like very ethical, principled founders and um, care a lot about the culture and the company and the team that we're building. And I hope that that also comes through. Um, and, you know, I think that that also helps with, with the team and the amazing team that we're growing. And with that too, I mean, how do you think about culture within your company building that or, or what are your thoughts around culture as well? Yeah. You know, I think, I think that there's been so much in the last few months around, <laughs> yeah. around yes. this, right? The, the, um, the, I don't, I'm trying to even think about how to capture it. There's just so much. And um, it's just such an uncertain, scary time in the world right now. And there's so many different um, challenges that people are facing, you know, from their health, from their family members' health, from 
um, the economy, unemployment to, you know, working parents who are balancing everything. And so I think as leaders, it's just more important than ever that you really create um, a strong company culture and you really give people psychologically safe spaces to share, you give them space to handle what they need to handle. Um, and you make sure that you're there as a point of like both strength, but also I think vulnerability in leadership is so important right now. Um, you know, we had a, a baby at the beginning of this. So we are <laughs> born April 2nd. And, you know, I, I think that I've been really um, deliberate in making sure that the team you know, knows that we're managing all this and that they're managing all of this and that this is just what, this is where we are right now. Um, and so I, I think that creating a, a really strong company culture and inclusive company culture, um, one that's filled with vulnerability and truth and trust right now is more important than ever. And yeah. I think it's a daily, a, a minute by minute Thing that leaders have to be focused on. I know that I've thought about it more than I ever have thought about it before, um, and have been really deliberate in, in how we've how we've really trying to to build build this company. And one thing too that's u- unique is your co-founder is your partner as well. So, uh, how, what has that been? What has that been like for you? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so interesting. So, um, we cannot imagine founding a company with anyone else but each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm always looking at other founding teams and I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, <laughs> how are you, how are you guys working together? But yeah. Um, yeah, it really works for us. We are very just complimentary people. Um, you know, his strengths are, you know, where my weaknesses are and my strengths are where his weaknesses are. It's just very complimentary in that sense. And then there's just also some um, more tactical ways that we're really complimentary and that he's an engineer and a builder and a developer. Yeah. You know, I can do more of the sales and the pitching and I'm just more extroverted in that way. So I think that that balance is really, really important. And, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of examples, of course, of really successful married founders. I don't think that that's like any surprise just because there's so much, um, there's so much trust necessary in, in founding teams. And there also has to be such alignment in, you know, you need to be complimentary, but there has to be alignment in work ethic and in principles and in how you approach problems and how do you navigate problems together? You know, do you kind of go heads down and, and work through them or, you know, it, do you um, avoid them? <laughs> you know, I think there are things that you have to really be aligned and, you know, Noah and I are very much aligned in those ways. And, you know, I always say it's like, if I, know someone who, you know, I think is the smartest and the best and, you know, the most ethical and the hardest working person, like, why wouldn't I found a company with that person and vice versa? Um, So yeah, so for us, it's been, I think, a very strong competitive advantage. And I see this with other married founders that we know as well. Um, And I think that there used to be a little bit of a stigma around it. I know that some investors like won't invest in married founders, or they didn't used to invest in married founders. But what we found with this raise and kind of now, like even I think the last probably couple of years is it's just not an issue. I think that um, investors are just more likely, more used to seeing it and have seen a lot of success in, in that kind of setup. 
Well, and to your point as well, I mean, you have complementary skill sets. There's a lot more behind it. If they're, if they're stuck on the fact that it's a married couple, then they're not looking at everything else. So that's yeah. on them, you know? Yeah, I mean, exactly. at that point, that's just not being a smart investor. Yeah, uh, right. Just looking at what you've been able to do, obviously, and the traction and progress you've made along the way. Is it difficult ever to balance the work life? Like, how does that, how has that gone? I'm just curious as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So it might be kind of controversial, but I don't like necessarily believe in like work-life balance. Cause I think balance, it, it implies like this perfect state where, you know, everything's sure. going to kind of fit together and feel good and all these different parts. But I think that everything, like everything should, I want every part of my life to feel kind of like full. And yeah. so I think about it a little bit more like that, but I think that having children <laughs> really mm. helps with that, um, natural kind of separation, I would say, and that, um, you know, they bring so much joy and also just a point of focus. Um, that's in a, in a shared, a shared point of focus that's separate from the company. So it's like, we have the company that we're building, we have kids that we're growing, you know, it's like <laughs> two pieces really, um, I think work well together. I, I think that I became more creative, better in all ways when I became a mother. Um, I think the same thing about Noah. I think when he became a father, he became more in all ways for us. And I think that it, yeah. it built us to be um, just a lot stronger in so many ways. And, um, you know, the, the laughter and the joy from that, I think, has really helped us through these last, you know, these last few months, for sure. Yeah, I actually heard that recently from someone. I forget who it was I interviewed, but they they also mentioned. I was like, "How do you like get away from work?" It's like, well, I have this this child, so yeah. that is it, it forces you to take time away from work because yeah. it's like, like, yeah, you, you spend time with them too. Yeah, yeah, you can't ignore, <laughs> can't ignore that. Yeah, funny how that goes. Yeah, you're you're building a company or building up a child, another human being, which is a whole other endeavor. Uh, yeah. Props to you for that as well. Um, and, yeah. and with that too, looking back on these these five plus years of. Uh, of building balloon and you, you go from not in the entrepreneurial world per se to then being a founder. It, I, I guess I'm curious as to like, what has the experience been like just from like a high level? Is it what you expected? Yeah. I don't know if I've uh, analyzed it in that sense or thought about if it's what I expected it to be. I think that I, I, I think that the parts that I thought would be easy have been challenging and the parts that I thought would be challenging have been easy. So I think that's one part is that I haven't been, it's like hard to assess kind of what is actually going to work really well and what isn't going to work really well. Mm, and yeah. So I think not making those assumptions is really important in that process. But um, yeah, I, I think that it's, I think that the journey has been so fulfilling and worth it. And the challenges have been as gratifying as they seem like they would be to solve and work through. Um, I, I, yeah, I really think that it, it's the reward and the highs are so high that it should be challenging. I think to get those, you know, to see your product out there being used, like all those different pieces. Um, yeah. Yeah. And with that too, then, I mean, along the way going, you know, I, I harp on this point of being a first time founder, cause it's so hard to build a company regardless yeah. of who you are, you know, I'm curious as to what's been kind of most helpful for you at learning and growing as an entrepreneur the last, you know, five and a half plus years? Yeah, I think um, most helpful has really been being really, I think, gritty, resilient, um, really relying on others like, you know, advisors, investors for guidance, your team, um, all, you know, your network, your family, your friends, all these different pieces to grow the company. Um, 
I think is the the most important part um, and has been part of that journey. And I'm a big reader, so I always have to ask about yeah. books. Are there any any uh, books, whether it be like personal, professional, just have been just impactful in general in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorites is Drive by Daniel Pink. Yeah. Have you read that one? I have, yep. Yeah, that was, I read that kind of at the beginning of founding a company and it's just really impactful for me, you know, in terms of what motivates us as individuals, what motivates teams. Um, and oftentimes I think where you're feeling friction and it's hard to focus on something, it's because it's not coming from a deeper place of motivation and, you know, what you're really meant to do and how you're meant to um, build something or create or make something. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just really impactful for me. So that's that's always been one of my favorites and something that I find myself relying on or thinking about a lot. Also, when really starting the company, you know, of course, like Jason Calacanis is this week in startups. Um, really, really wonderful. Of course, podcast, yeah. really valuable to learn. I, you know, I think that he does such a deep dive with so many different founders and, and investors, but I think the founder ones about the journey and the path um, are so helpful when you're really getting started and growing a company. And with that too, with you kind of you managing now you have you have a child as well. I mean, what is I would say typical in air quotes, and especially during COVID, but <laughs> what is like a typical day look like from start to finish? I'm really curious. Yeah, it's funny. Just, <laughs> I was like a few months ago, my answer would have been very different than it, yeah. is, than it is today. But yeah, but we have a four month old and a five year old. We're in a pandemic, so it's just different. Nothing's um, typical, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I would say you know, we, we work a lot, of course. I mean, you know that, yeah. um, but I try to, and it's, it's also ever changing as the baby gets older, you know, like their nursing schedule changes and their sleep schedule changes. So what those windows look like is, is just a little bit different, but, um, yeah, you know, we try to get up kind of before children try to, you know, get a lot of things done in the morning. I used to find that that morning window before kind of meetings would start was so, impactful and like helpful for me to do deep work in. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to kind of regain some of that. And then, um, you know, of course, like a lot of meetings, um, you know, with, with both in, you know, our team and, you know, sprint reviews and all those different pieces. And then also of course with customers, um, with leads, all, all of those pieces and then, um, you know, more deep work. And then, you know, we're trying to at least get outside, even if it's like to walk literally outside the door. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, you know, one time a day to get some, some sunshine, and um, yeah, trying to trying to stay active as well. Um, but I think it's ever changing right now in terms of what that that day to day looks like for us. Um, we're also trying as a company to only have meetings certain days of the week. So really having some days where we have deep work or where we have no video zooms, um, just to give people a little bit of a break and finding that makes a really big difference. Um, you know, I'm feeling that difference and I, I think that our team members are as well. Yeah. And there's so many different ways to go about work. I think the whole thing is yeah. everything's fluid, you know, everything yeah. is fluid with the situation and with, with building a company, especially you know, running a team and everything as well. How do you, I have to go into more detail because I'm just always way too curious about this. How do you handle one stopping for the day in terms of work and then two yeah. weekends? Yeah. Stopping for the day. I've always done this. I think I'll probably do this till the day I die, which is we'll have like dinner and, and like break, you know, a little bit of break 
And then once the kids go to bed, I'll go back and do a little bit of work. I've just always found that to work really well with my flow kind of before bed. I like to knock out emails at that time. I'm sure like people listening to this are like, oh, that's why Amanda sends emails during this window every single day. (laughs) Ah, I get it now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. this, This random nighttime window. But I found that works really, really well. And it makes me feel better set up for the next day. And I also make sure that I have those priorities outlined for the next day. You know, what are the things that I really need to get done? So I don't wake up and it's kind of like, okay, what, like, what, are, what should I focus on today? What does that look like today? Just very clear. And I feel like I can wake up with more intention of what the day is going to be. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what that unplug period looks like for me. Um, and then weekends. Yeah. Yeah. So Saturday, we try to have a little bit of a digital detox, um, <laughs> at least in the the mornings for sure. Um, and, and then Sundays, I try to get a little bit back in or I'll do, I'll do some, it really varies. It really has varied. I'm trying to really listen to like, when we need time to reset, like, what does that feel like? Yeah. Obviously there's like all the, you know, all the things with the kids and, and making sure we're kind of set up for, for the week and, and what that looks like. But yeah, and trying to also like, you know, go hiking on the weekends and spend some more time. One of the things is like, (laughs) we've recently discovered, well, I've recently discovered about myself is that I like Avengers movies, which I never (laughs) thought that I liked superhero movies, but we find of course, like a genre that the whole family can agree on. And now I'm like, wait a minute. I love Iron Man. Like, oh, I right. so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, where has been my whole life? So that's been like the new development is, um, yeah, is watching those and and really like, yeah, just enjoying. I, well, I feel like too, as an entrepreneur, like from Iron Man specifically, yes. like I yes. love it. Like he's creating things, he's inventing things. He's like, yeah, I mean, I think of that all the time. I've watched it way too many times to admit, yeah. but it's, it's great. <laughs> the best. You're like, oh my gosh, like. I was like, he's the best superhero because he just uses his brain. Like he doesn't have any like additional magical powers. Like yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm obsessed. Tony yeah. Stark. Yeah. S- same, same. Exactly. <laughs> and, and one thing I, I want to talk about as well. So I had talked to Olivia Owens from uh, iPhone Women of Color. She also is, uh, was, works at iPhone Women, but also started iPhone Women of Color. Okay. And knowing that with venture capital, first of all, a small amount of companies overall even get venture capital. And then a smaller, very tiny percentage of them are women founders. For you then having raised millions of dollars in venture capital as a woman founder, I mean, what have you noticed along the way with your experiences being a a woman woman founder the last five years? Yeah. I mean, the the data is crazy. It is. It is. It's, it's wild. It is. You look at it and you're just like, this cannot be real. But then yeah. you move it and you're like, wait a minute, this is, this is very real. <laughs> but it is, you know, it's, I think it's challenging. I try um, to, for both, I think my own sanity and to avoid frustration, I try to not focus on it. You know, I yeah. try, not, I tried not to think about it while I was fundraising. I tried to just get better and better and grow the company to be better and better where, you know, you can't be ignored and no one can say no. And I think that that is how I've had to approach it. I, you know, there was that research and I, I don't remember kind of who did it. I know it was published, I think in Harvard business review, but around, um, you know, just different questions being asked to, you know, male founders versus, uh, female founders. And, 
um, you know, how a lot of times the questions that are being asked to women entrepreneurs are much more on the defense, you know, like, what are your modes? What about competitors? Like, um, you know, and uh, for male founders, it's much more like about opportunities, like how big can this Mm. get? And um, one of the tips in that article was to shift when you get one of those questions, which, you know, when I look back on my fundraising process, I'm like, I always got those questions. Like, (laughs) like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's completely right. Goodness. Um, how you shift that question into talking about opportunity and in, in, you know, bringing it back to kind of, this is what we're building and this is where we're going and really relying on the data to drive that as well. And so that's been really helpful. There's been a lot of um, really incredible work done by all rays on this. I think, yeah. in terms of, you know, uh, providing resources and really empowering as well. Like, um, women investors, you know, to come to the table, to, um, really, you know, join those rounds, you know, to, to become partners, all those different pieces, you know, to get into more decision-making positions, which is just so powerful. And I think so important as well. And a lot of resources that they've put out in terms of how to structure that pitch for investors and for meetings also really helpful. Um, but yeah, I try the best that I can to not focus on it, but I think that it is, um, a huge issue, a huge issue in this industry. I think about all the time, all the innovation that just does not come to life because of this, Um, you know, who products are built for, what issues um, around women in particular, women's health that are just completely ignored. There's no innovation in that area um, because there's just not funding going in that direction. And so when you think about, you know, this is supposed to be where, you know, building the next wave of the future and what that looks like. Well, if a lot of people are excluded from that, then who are these products being built for? And what does that mean for us as a society? It's a huge, um, huge, huge, huge problem. Yeah. And to your point, you have to have people who are the decision makers that are (laughs) helping on that side. That's where it starts, really. I mean, there's obviously there's plenty of women who are kick-ass entrepreneurs who can build things, who can make these companies. And like, that's not the problem. It's, do we have decision makers? Do we have people who are involved, who are are writing the checks that can do this? Um, It's it's why I like companies like iPhone Women, who is, they do do crowdfunding, uh, if you're not familiar with them, but, and other people who, you know, have venture capital funds or venture funds, I should say, that are actually focused on this is, is needed and there needs to be more of them. Um, and that's where For even sure. supporting more venture capitalists kind of in the space who are women who are then have the ability to find these people and, and write the checks is important as well. We could talk about that for so long. Yeah, I know. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, about this. Yeah. Yeah. We could talk about it for a while. And that's something even just to give context for the show. I mean, I've, I've always tried to interview a wide variety of people, people of color, women, all different entrepreneurs yeah, to show people that, their entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs in general can be so many different things or different, different businesses, uh, different backgrounds, everything, different types of companies and to have opportunity for everyone. Yeah. If you're actually going venture back, you need to have people in those positions. And from your five plus years of experience of, yes. of running balloon, this is one of the last questions I want to ask. What lessons or what would you just want to say as kind of a final uh, goodbye here for your experience of the last five years, anything you want to say about that experience or, or any advice for founders, anything at all? Yeah. I mean, I would say first that it's worth it. Um, you know, seeing your vision come to life, hearing the impact your products having on your customers' lives, um, how it's changing teams and companies, like 
it's just so worth it. It's so fulfilling. Um, in all ways, it really isn't always. I think that as humans, we're meant to be really productive and we're meant to solve problems <laughs> and we're yeah. meant to create. And I think that somewhere along the line, you know, that can really become deadened in, in people, you know, they don't feel confident creating or making things or they become perfectionist. I mean, I'm, I was a perfectionist <laughs> before, <laughs> before founding a company. Um, I probably still am, but I tempered it, you know, to, to make <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that, that it's really worth it. And that if you can really, you know, I think that you have to really be passionate about the problem and it has to really choose you in so many different ways. Um, and then I also think one of the other biggest lessons is that opportunities just lead to more opportunities. So I'm a yes person and I just found that that works well. You know, if I, I, I tend to be pretty open to, to doing things and jumping in there and, saying yes and, you know, taking intros and and all these different pieces, because I've just found that it leads to more and more and more things. And, you know, I, I don't really believe in kind of disqualifying yourself before you try or saying no, because you're, you know, you want some sort of like specific thing. I, I think that you have to let kind of the universe drive you in that way. That <laughs> yeah. you say yes, and you know that it's going to lead to where you need to go. Um, and you work really hard. And I, I think that things really work out when you put those, those things together. You know, if you put a lot of, a lot of pressure on something and put a lot of attention, attention to something like that tends to be where you're going to see results. And I, I think that, you know, saying yes and being open just helps to accelerate all of those results. Absolutely. And Amanda, where can people go to learn more about Balloon and connect with you? Yeah, you can learn more about Balloon at getballoon.com. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's at AK Greenberg. You can email me, Amanda at getballoon.com. Um, yeah, I think those are all the ways. <laughs> anyway. Perfect. I'll be I'll be sure to link everything up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast so people can click on those links to connect okay. as well. But this has been a lot of fun. Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks so much, Justin. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. You want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.